Hey, it's Nathan, and this is the Bible in 90 Days. We're on day number 33, 2 Chronicles 8 through 23, and I'm going to jump right into 2 Chronicles chapter 8. It tells us of Solomon's activities, including the rebuilding of towns given to him by Hiram, king of Tyre. He put the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites into forced labor. He also built Pharaoh's daughter, one of his wives, a separate palace, noting, because the places the ark of the Lord has entered are holy. The chapter mentions additional activities such as a 17-ton haul of gold from Ophir. Chapter 9 records the visit from the Queen of Sheba mentioned previously in 1 Kings chapter 10. The chapter also includes a section on Solomon's fantastic wealth, also previously mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 10. The chapter includes, excuse me, the chapter concludes with Solomon's death after reigning for 40 years, his son Rehoboam succeeding him. Chapter 10 recounts the 10 tribes rebelling against Rehoboam, who threatened to rule the people with a heavy hand. This tragic turn of events is also found in 1 Kings chapter 12. Chapter 11 tells us that Rehoboam nearly went to war with Israel. It's also found in 1 Kings chapter 12. The middle section of chapter 11 about the Levites, however, is unique to Chronicles. And I'm quoting, the priests and Levites from all their districts throughout Israel sided with him, speaking of Rehoboam. The Levites even abandoned their pasture lands and property and came to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them as priests of the Lord. The chapter ends with a few notes about Rehoboam's family, including this. He had 18 wives and 60 concubines, 28 sons and 60 daughters. Chapter 12 records the attack against Jerusalem by the Egyptian king, Shishak. This event is only given passing notice in 1 Kings chapter 14. Five years into his reign, after King Rehoboam has become well-established, he and his people abandoned God's law, and that's when Shishak attacked. And I'm quoting, with 1,200 chariots and 60,000 horsemen and the innumerable troops of Libyans, Sukites, and Cushites. The word from the prophet Shemaiah to Rehoboam was straight to the point. And I'm quoting, This is what the Lord says, You've abandoned me. Therefore, I now abandon you to Shishak. Bit of an interesting insight there. In response, Rehoboam and the people of Judah humbled themselves and God protected them from total destruction. However, God noted through prophet Shemaiah that they would, and I'm quoting now, become subject to him, Shishak, so that they may learn the difference between serving me and serving the kings of other lands. Rehoboam reigned for 17 years and, quoting again, he did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. Again, insightful passages here in 2 Chronicles chapter 12. Chapter 13 tells us of Abijah, son of Rehoboam's favorite wife, Maacah, that he became king after his father's death, reigning for just three years. During his reign, there was a war between Abijah and Jeroboam, 400,000 troops from Judah and 800,000 from Israel. Before the battle, Rehoboam emphasized how his kingdom had remained faithful to the worship of the true God. When the battle started, the Judean troops found themselves surrounded and outnumbered. However, God delivered them and there were 500,000 casualties among the Israelites that day. Israel never caused them trouble again. 
Chapter 14 reports that Abijah died and his son Asa became king, doing what was right and prospering. Asa's reign is also mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 15. During his reign, Zerah the Cushite came with a vast army and Asa prayed, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you and in your name we have come against this vast army. The Cushite army is routed by God before the army of Judah, which come away with enormous plunder, including droves of livestock. Chapter 15, by the way, a chapter well worth reading, provides some detail regarding Asa's reforms. These reforms are inspired by a prophet, Azariah, son of Oded. His words are quite insightful, so I'll quote them in full. Listen to me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him. And he was found by them. In those days, it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the lands were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another and one city by another because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. But as for you, be strong and do not give up for your work will be rewarded. A few verses later, after describing a great assembly of recommitment, there's this line. They sought God eagerly and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. It's Worth noting that Asa deposed his grandmother for making a repulsive image, which he destroyed. While not a perfect reformer, the chapter notes, and I'm quoting, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. Chapter 16 tells us about Asa's last years, including a treaty with Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, in order to get Baasha, king of Israel, off of Judah's back. We encountered the story in 1 Kings 15. However, 2 Chronicles tells us that Hanani the seer rebuked Asa for relying on Ben-Hadad instead of God, who had previously brought about a great deliverance. After this, Judah would be at war. Asa is furious with the prophet, putting him in prison and brutally oppressing some of the people. His feet, that is Asa's feet, become diseased in the 39th year of his reign, But he does not seek God for help, only the doctors. In his 41st year of reign, he dies. A huge fire is made in his honor. By the way, that fire was uh, something done for other kings as well that were greatly beloved. In chapter 17, Jehoshaphat, Asa's son, succeeds him and is devoted to God's ways, including the removal of the high places and Asherah in Judah. Of note, Jehoshaphat sends teachers around Judah, some listed here by name, that is in the chapter, who take with them the book of the law of the Lord. And that was a quote, teaching the people. Following this, the chapter notes, and I'm quoting, the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands surrounding Judah, so that they did not go to war against Jehoshaphat. Philistines bring gifts of tribute, and the Arabs bring him flocks totaling over eight thousand animals. Jehoshaphat continues to gain power, and the chapter ends by listing his fighting forces. Chapter 18, however, begins with this unsettling line. 
Now Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor, and he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. Details are similar to those in 1 Kings 22, so I won't review them here. Chapter 19 records that after Jehoshaphat returns safely to his palace, Jehu, the seer, confronts him. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is on you. There is, however, some good in you, for you have rid the land of the Asherah poles and have set your heart on seeking God. Following this rebuke, Jehoshaphat appoints judges in the land, urging them, and I quote again, Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. In Jerusalem, he appoints Levites, etc., to administer the law of the Lord, urging them also, you must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. Now we're at chapter 20, and by the way, another chapter you should read. It tells the incredible story of God defeating a massive combined force of Moabites, Ammonites, and some Meunites. King Jehoshaphat and his people come together and ask God to intervene. In the king's prayer, he reminds God of his providential work in Israel's past, then tells God of the impending attack, asking, and I quote, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God responds through the prophet Jehaziel. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Then a few lines later, Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. The king and his people worship. And then some of the Levites stand and praise the Lord with, and I quote, a very loud voice. The next morning, Jehoshaphat urges his people to believe the words of the prophet and then appoints singers to praise God, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they do, God defeats the gathered armies through an ambush, which isn't described. However, what does happen is the Amorites and Moabites turn on the men from Mount Seir and then on each other. When Jehoshaphat's forces later reach the battlefield, it's a sea of dead bodies, and there's so much plunder, it takes three days to collect it. On the fourth day, there's an assembly in a valley to praise the Lord, and the valley is named after it, Valley of Barakah, Barakah meaning praise. The people return to the temple in great joy, and there is peace on every side. A note is made at the end of the chapter regarding a joint fleet of trading ships made in coalition with Ahaziah, king of Israel, and that fleet comes to disaster. Jehoshaphat reigns for 25 years. Chapter 21 informs us that upon his death, Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, succeeds him. However, upon becoming firmly established, he, Jehoram, puts all of his brothers to death and follows the ways of the kings of Israel, having married a daughter of Ahab. The basics are recorded in 2 Kings chapter 8, but a few points are worth noting here. First, Elijah declares that God is not pleased with Jehoram's wicked leadership, 
So now the Lord, and I'm quoting, is about to strike your people, your sons, your wives, and everything that is yours with a heavy blow. You yourself will be very ill with a lingering disease of the bowels until the disease causes your bowels to come out. Yikes. What follows are the Philistines and Arabs attacking and plundering Judah, carrying off the king's wives and sons, and Jehoram dying from a painful disease of the bowels. At his death, which no one regrets, there is no great funeral fire to honor him, nor is he buried in the royal tombs. Jehoram reigned for eight years. Chapter 22 records that Ahaziah, a variant, by the way, of the name Jehoahaz, youngest son of Jehoram, his oldest brothers had all been killed, takes his father's place. He reigns for one year and is the son of Athaliah, a daughter of Ahab and granddaughter of Omri. Ahaziah is egged on to do evil by his mother, Athaliah, and under advisors from the house of Ahab, joined the king of Israel to battle Haziel, king of Aram, which ultimately led to his downfall. That is the downfall of Ahaziah. Details of this can be found in 2 Kings chapter 9. Out of deference to Jehoshaphat, it's noted, Ahaziah's grandfather, he is buried. Athaliah is too powerful for the royal family and takes the throne. Greater detail can be found in 2 Kings chapters 11 and 12. Our final chapter today, chapter 23, continues the story of Joash, who followed his father on the throne with details largely reflecting what's recorded in 2 Kings 11 and 12. And that's all for today.